So I was taking a walk earlier, got myself a midday coffee, and for some reason, on the walk home, I thought it could be interesting to record a podcast. I don't know why. I don't really have any plans. I don't have any subjects prepared. I don't have a format, and I don't uh, have, have, have a name. I don't have any ideas for a name. The session in audition that I'm recording on right now is called Untitled Session 2. So, the sequel to Untitled Session. But, uh, I just wanted to start talking uh, with no expectation of where it would go. Just because I thought maybe it could be therapeutic for me to, you know... Just kind of hear myself say some things I've been thinking about out loud. And I don't know. We'll see where it takes us. If I I listen back to it and I think, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to listen to this, then I just I'll keep it to myself. Uh, but hopefully, maybe I'll 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 think that this goes somewhere at some point. And that's it. I mean, I could I could throw a few disclaimers in here. Uh, again, I have no expectations of what this is or what this is going to be. That's pretty much it. That's really all I need to say, right? So what's been going on? Well, uh, really, I'm, I'm taking a little break. You could argue I'm procrastinating, putting in some job applications. I'm currently in the market for a job as a software engineer, and that has been... That has been interesting. That has been, uh, it's been tough. I've actually never really had to be a part of the job search process before. I kind of realized um, in the past, I've, I've just sort of gotten jobs from just from referrals. I've never really been out of work for too long. Technically, I'm not out of work. I do, I do make some money um, part time doing consultancy for online advertisers. And I've done that for, I've, I've had, I've had some jobs, uh, doing like full-time work in this field, uh, over the past few years, but I started my consultancy about three years ago. And then I actually, it's been, well, it's been, it's like three and a half, a little bit over three and a half years ago now, like mid, mid 2019. And, uh, yeah, I made like varying degrees of money with it. Um, there's been points where I've made quite a lot, actually more than enough, you know, to sustain me and be my full-time thing. Um, but then COVID happened in 2020 and it just really affected my, my business because, um, you know, I work with, I work with people who do, uh, selling online on like Amazon, things like that. So, uh, when COVID was happening and, and like the full swing of it and like, you know, spring, summer, 2020, there was a period of time where you couldn't even send in uh, products to the Amazon warehouses unless you were selling essential goods, which none of my clients were. So in times like that, the very first thing to go is advertising, which makes a lot of sense. You know, you're, you're trying to clear out inventory that you can't replenish. Not really. Um, and also people in times of economic uncertainty are a lot less likely to just buy consumer goods that are advertised to them like that. So yeah, yeah, really put a dent to my business, but 
I made it work over the years because I, I, um, like I said, I, I took on some more full-time work in addition to my consultancy once I scaled down um, how many people I was working with on my own. And so I've always, you know, paid the bills that way and it's been fine. But I realized about a year ago, about 10 months ago, really, that um, I was more interested in working as a software engineer. And it didn't come out of nowhere. I, in fact, originally I, I graduated in 2017 and I originally went to school for computer science. Um, I switched roughly, no, not midway through. I, I switched after my first year uh, to business administration and I graduated with my bachelor's in that. Um, and, you know, so I just, I did marketing and, and <laughs> it's like stuff that you do with a role, uh, with a degree like that since I graduated, but I was always interested in computer science. Um, you know, the only AP class I ever took in high school was AP computer science, which to be fair was, uh, not complicated. Um, in fact, it's kind of funny that I even got a college credit for it because literally we would, uh, quote unquote program things in the language scratch. If you know what scratch is, <laughs> it's a block. It's like building blocks. So like, you'd be like, if the cat is clicked, the cat goes meow. Like, literally, that would be like an example of a scratch application. That's like a starter application, um, which you know it sounds stupid, but it did. It, you know, it did help with like getting the fundamentals down of um, of programming, just like things like using conditionals and you know creating just statements in in sequence and succession and having them interface with one another and stuff to create a working application. Yeah, something, but I think some people who took, you know, AP comp science in, in, um, in high school probably got like intro to Java or JavaScript, something like that. Um, and I did not, uh, but we did, we did learn about Java. That was like CSE, you know, 101, 102. It was focused on using Java as, you know, it wasn't like, that's the thing about that kind of education is that it's not at least early on, you know, in the undergraduate, um, like coursework, it's not about like, oh, here's how to make things in Java. It's like we're using Java because it's a good intro to things like object-oriented programming. But, you know, it's it's also an accessory to, I mean, because really you learn more conceptual things in those those introductory classes. It's like, you know, what are bits and bytes, you know, it was just how does a computer process com instructions and, and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I wasn't in the, I wasn't in that major long enough to really see it become more focused, um, or to you know do to 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 make any uh, projects in my own time because I I just I lacked the experience. Um, but fast forward to so right around 2020 when my work as a as a contractor got less um, you know I, I had less work coming in so I had a lot more free time. Um, it's just sort of like between me taking full-time roles and even after I did, um, it was like remote work and you know, you know how it is with like remote client work. Some days it's like your hair's on fire. Some days you do nothing. Right. Um, and that was kind of how it was. So, you know, in my boredom on, on some days and, uh, or I, I shouldn't really say in my boredom, it was, I was really interested to learn about uh, programming in certain, like uh, doing certain stacks, learning certain languages because I was interested in creating certain things. So 
I think my interest really kicked off. I think it was late 2017. I got linked up with someone. Editor here. He meant to say 2019, but said 2017 by accident. Who he was also learning programming. He was learning Python and working on this bot that he was building for, um, for Discord to do these like communications between <clears throat> a gaming server, like a League of Legends or like, uh, like a chat. Th think of just like a chat. So like, um, I was it was it chat. It may have been like stats. I can't remember exactly what the use was originally, but it, it, we, we took what he was doing and transformed it into this like entirely, you know, it's like unrecognizable. So I can't even remember what it was originally, but, um, I found him on in the modding community for this game that I played. I was interested in the modding community because it was very open source. It was very, you know, welcoming. There was a lot of documentation. And um, so I was interested in creating mods for this game. And they released these server tools at the time where you could host dedicated servers. It was like their pre-alpha version. Like, um, yeah, it's just not, I, I don't really think it's worth getting into the weeds on this stuff. I, I don't even know why I'm really giving my life story. Um, but Long story short, we were both learning Python and then I started learning C sharp and then he, he learned some C sharp as well. Um, and we put together uh, a really impressive, in my opinion, suite of applications or, you know, kind of a pipeline um, that communicated between these gaming servers and this community we built on discord and all this stuff. And so we got a lot of traffic and we got like 10, like literally tens of thousands of people playing on the servers and they became like the de facto servers. And I would I host them on my personal computer too. In fact, I would just leave this computer that I'm talking to right now, that I would leave this computer on 24 seven and I would just have them running in the background. And that was it. Like I, my computer, you know, if there were a lot of people playing, my computer would be like slow. I could, I could not game actually. I remembered when my, when they uh, came out with an expansion or not an expansion, but some like content uh, updates, like some new, some new characters, whatever people are all excited for in the game. I actually, I wanted to play, but I, I, I couldn't because I wanted to keep the servers open so everybody else could play, but I didn't have the compute, like the processing power to also play on my machine, um, and also keep the servers open. So I, I just opted to, you know, I think I, I think I like late at night, I think at like 2 AM, I, I was like, you know what? Nobody's playing. <laughs> Let's just, let me sneak. I'm going to shut this down. I'm going to sneak in some rounds and, you know, play myself. But yeah, I had to sacrifice to even like let people do it. So it was like, I was just really, but I was very interested in it. Like I loved it and I loved managing a community and I loved, I knew that people like, like it was a unique experience that other people were not offering, um, you know, partially due to the the stuff we were developing with the bot and the, what we were scripting. And also because of just our dedication to actually hosting the servers um, in that community, you know, there weren't too many people doing that. So it was, it was appreciated, but yeah, so I eventually I bought a second computer. I, I, I had some money, so I, I bought a second rig, which I also have next to me on the other side of my desk. Um, and that's what I proceeded to host the servers on. And right now I actually, the servers are offline. It's been, you know, over, over two years since, um, I started that project. And right now the servers are offline. I took them offline a few months ago because I was having trouble because I was studying. I was very, very busy. I guess, I don't, know if, I don't know if I'm going through my whole thing in like a chronological order or what, but I was busy with this coding bootcamp called Hack Reactor, which I suppose I'll talk more about. Um, 
and I just they they released a major update to the game and my C sharp skills were already very loose. Like I learned by doing, and a lot of my code was like, like contextual clues from like looking at other people's mods and stuff. And obviously like a lot of copy pasted code. And, you know, I could confidently say that I, you know, I can write C sharp code, but it, you know, it's like, it's like niche code and I have to, I need a lot of references, but to be fair, that type of stuff that it's called unity scripting. It is very like, I, it's like trial by fire. Not just trying to learn that language, but trying to learn programming, object-oriented programming as a whole through that, I, I could have done a lot better. I could have made it a lot easier on myself. So I, uh, I'm i not too mad at myself that I, you know, don't think I'm the best C-sharp programmer. I'm just, you know, someone who's dabbled in it. But anyway, they, they updated the game uh, pretty majorly. And every time they would update the game, all the modders, they have to update all their plugins. And I not only was I running the servers, but I developed these... Uh, plugins that improve the experience because the server the dedicated server client was like really uh it was very early um it wasn't getting a ton of support by the dev team but luckily i actually got connected with the dev team which was huge i was like it was kind of crazy for me actually because it was like i got invited to like a private discord with with the because it's a small it is like a three-person team at that at that time but the game's sold millions of copies like it's a huge game so just like whoa hi <laughs> you guys are awesome like <laughs> um but yeah it, it was it was great because i got the chance to meet them and and um convey some feedback to them directly and they began to patch that client around my feedback which was really big um but it, it wasn't a priority for them understandably because they're like i said there wasn't a whole lot of people hosting the servers at the time um, it was just me and like a handful of other people. I think, honestly, I think people were generally non-competitive because the client was pretty broken. Um, and I was one of the only people that was investing in, in making it better. Uh, and I had things that I released as public mods for people to use on their servers, but I also had things that I was using internally and it wasn't like I, I didn't publish them, but it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't publish them because I was like, oh, this is mine. I, you know, I don't want anybody else to use this. In fact, I was trying to, I would help people who came to me and, and wanted support on getting the servers started up. Like I would talk to people would DM me and I would talk to them and, you know, answer questions because it was such a, you know, a loopy process sometimes. But um, no, the reason I, did, I would not publish uh, those things was because I was kind of embarrassed of the quality of them. I felt like they were very hacked together and, and there were bugs, like there were bugs, there were problems. I would have to restart servers sometimes, but um you know, I thought it, oh yeah. And the other th the other reason is because I really like coupled a lot of, like I, I paired a lot of functionality together within the context of like a single plugin where, where I knew some of it was like bug fixy, you know, to the base client. And then some of it was like additional features that I wanted, you know, added. And because I was working in such a, just like, again, I was just like taking what I could get as far as like the performance of, um, like, like what, what, uh, how should I say? I just was content with it compiling and running on the server and not encountering immediate errors because I, I didn't feel like I, you know, was so proficient that I could do it, you know, this in-depth debugging and really understand what was going on. So it took me a long time to make changes. Uh, it took me a long time and it was, you know, very painful sometimes, especially when like the base assembly code would change, uh, the, or the patcher would change like 
the APIs that you would use for accessing certain information that the moder- the monitoring community built, like those tools. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass. Um, but basically, oh, I'm not, like not looking at the mic. That's probably a bad idea. I was kind of looking at the wall. Don't want that for sound quality reasons. Um, yeah, so, you know, I did that and that was like my biggest project, my biggest coding project, you know, and we iterated on it a ton. Um, I would say me and my friend, we, we contributed to it equally. And, you know, we both learned so much from it. And that kind of springboarded into, well, not even spring, it literally, it was just so disconnected where I got involved with the crypto community and I ended up making cryptocurrencies and smart contracts in Solidity because it's just, you know, it's object oriented programming. Um, so there were some transferable skills from what I'd done in C sharp. And to be honest, it was a lot, it was a lot simpler doing, doing Solidity contracts. Like there's no, that, you know, you can import, like you can inherit from contracts, but you know, they're all just like pretty simple interfaces. You know, there's standards that these contracts follow and stuff. It's not, it wasn't like you were working with like complex APIs for like, you know, like building on top of, of a game engine, you know, it's way less complicated to make smart contracts than it is to make uh, unity scripts, unity plugins. So it was, it was relatively easy for me. Um, and I had a bunch of ideas, things I wanted to do with them. It really inspired, like I found, I found the, the medium to be very inspiring. So I made cryptocurrencies, I made smart contract kind of like games I ended up making something more complicated, something called the DAO, um, which is sort of like a voting platform. Um, and to this day, I'm very, like, I'm super proud of my work on one of my projects, especially that I just kept iterating on it. Like it was this cryptocurrency and it, then it was worth a good amount of money. People invested in it and then I built the platform around it. Unfortunately, the crypto community, especially the like micro cap, you know, the kind of the, um, I guess a grassroots community really fell off in what was it? I would say like going into like March, 2022, like February, March. Um, that was when the market started looking kind of bearish. I'd have to double check on like when I, cause I, I remember it was like a pretty big, a lot of value was being lost on like Bitcoin and, and underlying currencies um, around that time. And it kind of just continued. And that, that was, you know, people were bearish. I mean, the whole economy was suffering, so it wasn't like exclusive to crypto, but it was very disappointing because crypto historically had been a hedge against the economy. And, but I think there was a lot of institutional investment in Bitcoin, which I'm sure helped it, you know, get to the heights that it reached, but then it also, you know, became like every other, you know, hedge fund, uh, bot traded asset, it, you know it became boring is what it became. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, right now that the years started off very well for crypto. Um, it's, you know, it's, we've seen a lot of growth. I think it's something up, something like 25, 30% from start of this year. It's, it's, um, right now it's January 16th. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. It's two weeks of growth, 25, 30%. So yet to be seen, you know, I'd like to see Ethereum hit three, 4,000 again. That would be nice. <laughs> I'm more, I'm not really, I'm not really a Bitcoin guy, to be honest. I'm, I'm because I like smart contracts. I'm actually, to be honest, I'm really not a crypto guy in general. I don't really talk about cryptocurrency as an investment. Um, yeah, I just mentioned that cause I wanted to sort of explain 
where my you know, where my interest was lying over time with with my work on uh, smart contracts and and Web three stuff. But um, the 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 thing of it is that I, I'm not really that interested in them as as a speculative investment because I'm more interested, or I should say, I, I would say I think it's really the community of it that sort of drives me away. I'm interested in the technology. I, I think decentralized computing is fascinating. I see a ton of problems in our modern world just with things like transparency of information, uh, people's mistrust for things like voting. You know, there, there's uh, so many applications that that the blockchain can provide to us. You know, if we if we utilize them. And really, what I'm waiting on is, uh, or not waiting on. I'm you know I'm a contributor to this. I'm I want to be part of this, but something I'm really looking out for is like a killer app, you know, like something that only exists on, on blockchain platforms, something that only exists on Ethereum blockchain or, you know, whatever else, um, people are developing on that really brings people to it because they say, Oh, I can't already do that on like an app or, you know, using traditional finance applications. Like I just think people don't think big enough right now. They don't. And I don't think there's enough institute institutional, investment in blockchain technology there's a, there's a lot of places that are you know there's actually there are a lot of companies right now that are building internal blockchains for record keeping so not stuff that's public facing like not you know that's not on the public ledger but it's it's stuff that they use internally as a way to um record and, and track transaction transaction <laughs> transactions like between teams like um banks especially uh banking private banking uh is is building stuff like that so yeah you know it'll come in my opinion it's really just a matter of time um but i'm not really that interested in talking about whether or not bitcoin's gonna hit you know 20 40 60 80 100 000. I, I not to say that i don't care but price is just reflective of people's interest so i don't really care i don't have a price target i just want people to be more interested in it so i suppose i would like the price to go up but, you know, the more the more wealth is generated in environments like that, the more wealth is generated, the more people like Sam Bankman Freed you get who are there to exploit that wealth and exploit, I would say, a lack of regulation. Um, and yeah, anyway, I'm talking about shit where if, if you're not if you're not in this stuff, you don't even know. There's no way, you know, who Sam Bankman Freed. Actually, he's been in the news. He's the guy who had that he the exchange. If you don't know, he's the guy who has that exchange. FTX and it collapsed um, due to a bunch of reasons, really. Um, and right now he's like, you know, he's in the midst of shit. But yeah, I think people like him need to be forced out of the space because really like that situation was not a crypto thing. That was literally that. Well, it was partially a crypto thing. It partially had to do with him issuing a coin to, you know, so so and so collateralize his, his, his own assets and debts and stuff. Um, which is an absolutely completely crazy, stupid idea, by the way, that's my stance on that. But I would say the root of it is just a failure of understanding how to, uh, build a, like a system of banking, a system of managing user assets. They don't, they didn't hedge, they didn't hedge against the bear market and, you know, they lost a lot of people's money due to it. So that's what I think on that. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I did that stuff with the servers. I did uh, the cryptocurrency stuff. So at that point, I had experience in C Sharp, Python, Solidity. Um, 
but I didn't really come around to JavaScript, which is, you know, most people's first programming language, uh, you know, building web apps and HTML and, and JavaScript. I didn't really come around to it uh, until late, late-ish, like mid-2022. Mid I built that platform, that DAO, I built a very, very, very basic, very ugly front end for it. Ugly, but functional front end for it. It's this little serverless app um, for interfacing with one of my smart contracts. I made a front end for that in React, and I did another front end for another one of my things, equally ugly, but also equally functional. Um, but that was my only real experience. And I was mostly like following like tutorials. Uh, there's this one guy in particular, Oh man, what's his name? He has a funny name. That's, I should remember it. Oh, Michael Couch, I think his name is on YouTube. He has like a few hundred views. I, I but I just remember I was like looking up like how to make a web three app in, in Java, in uh, like a HTML app, a web app. And one his tutorial was like the very first thing that came up. And I liked his style because it was like not produced at all. It was just a video of just literally him screen recording on his Mac with like, a little video pane of, of him in the corner, just like single, like no cuts, uh, single session, single, you know, just going straight through no cuts at all. Um, just explaining how to, how to do it from start to finish. Um, and you know, he had a GitHub repository, so I, I basically cloned it and I made some adjustments and essentially bootstrap my own project. And then I use that for the second one that I made as well. Um, you know, I just gutted what I created for the other thing. But anyway, so that was my first intro and I, I learned some things, but I, I, you know, for the most part, like I said, I was just sort of feeling around and changing what I had to, to accomplish what I needed to. But I didn't feel like I, you know, really under, I most certainly did not understand React. In fact, looking at the code for that uh, app embarrasses me. I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to like update it because it's like, I don't even know what the point would be. Um... I think I'm just going to let it be as like my here and now moment between, or I should say, uh, what is it then and now between how inexperienced I was creating web applications and where I'm, where I'm at now, which I went through, um, in October, I just, I graduated the hack reactor program, which is, uh, uh, um, how many weeks was that? Oh man, you would think I would remember. I think it's a 12, yeah, 12, 12, 13 week program. Um, it's like 11 hours a day of, of mostly programming. You know, it's like uh, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturdays, but five, five, five days a week, it was till, it was till 8 p.m. Then uh, Saturdays, it was nine to five. But yeah, it, um, it was a very intensive, full immersive uh, software engineering course where I got to, round out my skills in using JavaScript and uh, HTML, just building, building full stack web applications. And, you know, it's been like a night and day difference uh, from my ability to not just with JavaScript, but like in general, you know, there are a lot of programming fundamentals that I, I covered there. JavaScript's a very simple language to grasp because it doesn't rely on like object oriented principles. Um, yeah, it just, it's very functional. Uh, you know, it's a scripting language. You don't need to compile anything. You don't need to build for other platforms. You know, just like you have browsers that run it. And, you know, I mean, you need to have like CSS, you know, adapt for like different browsers and stuff. Like 
that's not really that crazy. Um, just like not that crazy compared to like application development where you're literally, you know, you're, you're, you have to create things that are supported on multiple OSs and, and are, you know, up to date with the latest OSs and like done a breaking changes and all this stuff. Um, application development is a lot harder, which I'm saying that too, like, as like when I was doing the unity scripting, that's like how it was when the underlying application that was being, uh, using, using my plugin, when that was updating that game, <clears throat> you know, it'd break a lot of stuff and I have, have to change it every time. And, uh, luckily JavaScript or creating web apps is, is very, you know, update your dependencies and you're pretty much good to go for the most part. Um, but yeah, I have gained a ton of experience in that. And I, I mean, I would say like in those, that three month period, I would say I probably learned just about as much as I did over like a two year period on my own, because, you know, my, my learning was like, it was sporadic. It was like what I had time for. But in March, 2022, I was, <clears throat> I was working for my friend's consultancy full time. And like I said, I still have my own consultancy, but it was like very, um, very small. It's just part-time work. Um, so I have, I had time to do both, but I did not have time to really, uh, put the pedal to the metal on, on programming, but I knew that I wanted to around that time because I had been, you know, playing with it for like three years now, <clears throat> but I just made a decision. I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do, so I left my, my, my friend's consultancy and in March. And then that was when I, that was when I, I took time on my own to just hone my skills, um, you know, use all the time of my day that I could and hone my skills as a programmer. And then I enrolled in Hack Reactor and it was like late July. So there was some, there was, you know, some period of time between that. But I mean, honestly, I, you know, I wish I had done it sooner. I, I would have a job right now as a, as a software engineer, if I had enrolled in Hack Reactor, you know, in March, April, 2022, no doubt about that. Cause you know, right now it's a little tough. Um, our economy to, to me, I've seen the state of our economy as a looming threat ever since COVID. Um, to me, I think stock markets, people's just uh, impressions of things, I think recovered way too fast. And we continued to be on the trajectory of just like, you know, wealth being created and jobs being, people leaving their jobs, you know, there's all these job openings, interest rates are super low and the stock market is at an all time high. But it's like all of this, you know, world changing stuff just happened. There's all this instability, like all this instability. And there's, you know, there's a death from, from the pandemic and, and all these things. And it's just like, you can't tell me that all of those things, the things that we went through during quarantine and, and, you know, for, for the better part of like 2020 to 2022 culminated in a better economy in a better, you know, it, it didn't. So I've been thinking for a while now that just like waiting for the other shoe to drop and, and in like, I mean, over the course of this year, you know, things have been, I think more, I'm sorry, there's an ambulance in the background. I didn't say the recording quality would be perfect. This is uh, as impromptu as it gets. So maybe in the future I can, you know, make a little recording station. I actually do have a, um, I have a screen, a recording screen, um, you know, like a padded thing. I forget what they're called exactly, but I, I think they're called like a stand. It's a mic stand with a screen surrounding it, which helps to prevent, you know, echoing and stuff like that. But 
the, the problem is that I have my mic on my desk, um, and I use this for like discord and, and, um, uh, calls like zoom, stuff like that. I, I use this as my audio interface. So I'd have to disconnect everything and like plug it in my laptop if I wanted to do it upstairs or something. But yeah. So, uh, anyways, what was I saying? Yeah. I, I've been pessimistic about the economy for a long time and, uh, I think it's, you know, starting to rear its head, but it was definitely, you know, over the past it's January now, yeah, over the past like three, four months, we we've started to see the impact of it. And companies have laid off a lot of people, especially fan companies, especially these big employers, Amazon, Meta. I mean, everybody knows what's going on with Twitter. They cut what do they cut like ninety percent of their workforce. I mean, that's Elon Musk is a special case for sure. But yeah, it's it's not a it's not a good time to be between jobs. It's not it's not. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, especially entry level. Oh my God. Like there's a lot of people looking for senior level work or, or a lot of people hiring for senior level work I've noticed. Um, and that's what I've heard as well from people is that it's not that, it's not that difficult for if, if that's what you're looking for right now. But, um, yeah, junior, you know, associate entry level work, not a good time. So I am, you know, it's not, it's not ideal, but I have confidence in my experience. I have confidence in my ability to interview, but I've been putting in a lot of applications. And, uh, let me tell you, it's, I mean, nobody, everybody knows the job search is hard. This is not new information, but I have really, I've, I've had some luck. I've had a little bit of luck, um, with a couple places. In fact, I have, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to jinx it, but I, I, um, am in more than an introductory stage, uh, with a company that I'm really excited about, um, for one of their junior roles. And I really, really, really hope it goes well going forward. Um, I would love to work for them. Like seriously, like I, I, they're, if not my dream company, they're definitely one of my, I mean, I literally, I can't even think of anyone else I would rather work for than these people. So I'm super excited that I've taken, you know, I've gotten some response in my application, but, um, Actually, yeah, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I just don't want to jinx it, but I, I'll tell a funny story. So I applied for this role at this company a few weeks ago. And then about two weeks ago, I heard back from them. And um, so I actually had an internal referral. I had an internal referral at this company. I knew someone there. They didn't work on the software development team. So, you know, it was kind of, but it was still an internal referral. So I, I had them do that about a week ago and, um, I, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn the, the next day, the, the very next day I got a response on LinkedIn from somebody I, I, I didn't know at the company, but they were connected to the people I did know. And, you know, they basically said we reviewed your application, but we want to take it in, in a different direction. And, um, you know, for, for me, again, I really want to work for these guys. So I'm, I was like, really? Cause the job posting was well within my experience. Like it literally, like it, it, it's like the kind of job that like at, you hire like newly grads, you know, people with no, no work experience. And I am a newly grad technically of, you know, hack reactor and, and not, not of school, not, you know, I don't have my computer science degree, but, um, I am kind of like a newly grad, but anyway, so I, I think it aligns with my experience very strongly. So I was very surprised. I was like, wow, God, that was, you know, such a quick decision. And so I asked him, I, I, I said, um, 
could you just provide me some with some more insight on what you were looking for that I didn't have? And um, they didn't get back to me right away. So I, I followed up uh, the next day and I, I you know, said more of the same. And they responded to me rather quickly. And they, they were like, no joke. They, they were like, uh, we, you know something? I admire your tenacity uh, or, or like commitment, dedication, one of those words. And um, <laughs> I'll put you in, in touch with one of our technical recruiters. And that's, that's what they did. I got I had an email. Actually, it was a funny, it was a very funny process of discovery for me. Cause you know, I was feeling let down and they didn't get back to me right away. So I was like, oh man, you know, I'm not going to hear from anyone. This stinks. Um, but then I got an email and it was like introducing you to the technical recruiter here. Their name is like uh, go schedule time to talk. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I was like, uh, what is going on? Um, and then I went to LinkedIn and I saw that they had messaged me back and they're like, I'm going to send you an email, I'll connect you. And I'm like, okay, tenacity, you know? commitment, whatever, dedication, perseverance. I think that was the word that they use. Perseverance. Maybe <laughs> one of the good words that, you know, to describe someone who, who perseveres, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I, so, so they connect me with this person and, um, they were like, yeah, okay. So, you know, let's put time on the calendar. And this was, um, this was, I think, on Thursday or Friday, Thursday, or Friday, one of those days. And um, I put time in the calendar for, uh, it was today, actually. It was today in the morning. And I was already, uh, you know, I like, usually usually my morning routine is I, I, I take the dogs to the park and then I come home and I, I like shower. Um, Today, I didn't do that. I showered first, I shaved, and then, you know, wouldn't you have it, uh, it was like 10 minutes before our meeting was supposed to happen. I, I got an email and uh, they apologized, but they they asked if we could reschedule, um, which, you know, I was, I mean, obviously I was feeling like, ah, but yeah, I, I mean, so long as I get the chance to reschedule, I'm a happy camper. I'm just like, I really want this to work. I really want this to happen. So I'm, 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 you know, they're going to get back to me with some time. So I'm really hoping that I can, um, I can meet with this person and, you know, have that go well, you know, cause I, I, right now I, I just, I need someone to take a chance on me is what I need. I mean, that's, it's the honest truth. I don't, you know, when you look at somebody with no professional work experience that relates to the job they're applying for and it's just personal projects and, you know, uh, boot camp graduate and, and, and such like that's, it's, you're basically taking a gamble on that person. But I will say that, you know, compared to most jobs, programming, software engineering jobs, they have a lot of hurdles to jump through to prove that you are not lying about your experience or that you would be a good fit for the job. I mean, it's the very, the very concept of the technical interview, you know, you do things like you answer lead code questions, you, um, you know, to be able to exhibit that, you know, data structures and algorithms, which you may never use in the job ever, but just knowing that you, you know, you went through that rite of passage and you're committed to it. Like that's part of it. But also, you know, sometimes they have take home assignments. Sometimes they have, I mean, it could be multiple choice questions. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do that you can't just walk into a, you know, a, the vast majority probably of, of software engineering jobs and not actually have the experience you say you have and get away with that. Um, 
but so in my case, in my shoes right now, it's just like, I just, I need to be at that step where I can prove to people. Yes, I absolutely have the experience that translates to what you're looking for from an entry level position. Um, cause yeah, it's, it's right now, it's just, it's having companies take that looking, looking past my lack of professional experience in order to, you know, get me a seat at the table, get me on the phone with someone. So this technical recruit, uh, recruiter thing, I'm really, really looking forward to. I really hope I can, I can meet with them later this week. Um, and just in general, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I've had a couple things come through where I've been advanced to the next stages, but I actually had one thing, um, happen, which was, I was so, man. So the first, uh, earlier last week as well, I got an invitation to do a coding assessment, which is like, you know, the next stage of the process for a company where two other people from my, my hack reactor cohort had been hired to work. So two other people from my cohort had jobs at this place and went through this process. So I was like, oh yes, like awesome. And, um, I took the assessment. It was based on, uh, it was based on react. It was front end stuff. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say too much about their process, but it was, it was, it was easy. It was simple, but there was, um, a very, very small multiple choice segment. It was like two questions, multiple choice questions. And I, you know, this wasn't like some, it was, it was like timed and stuff. And I'm sure they monitored like some aspect of it, but like th- there was, there would have been very little they could have done pretty much nothing. If I had chosen to like use a different device to look up the answers to these questions is what I'm saying. And it was only two questions, uh, but there were pretty just like, they were supposed to be like gotcha type interview questions. A lot of jobs will ask for this kind of thing. And, you know, I answered both from the knowledge that I had, I didn't look anything up. I, you know, I, I answered honestly, but the, the, I, after I submitted my, and then the rest of it, the assessment, the actual assessment, which was writing code, I nailed without a problem. Like I, I, they, they actually let you on those things. Like they have a, a built-in Google search thing. So you can look up some, some uh, stuff, stuff if need be in their words to simulate, you know, being in a real working environment, which I think is cool. Uh, I did, I was, a little suspicious that I thought, well, maybe if I look up too much stuff, they'll look down upon that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I did kind of get the feeling like maybe, cause there were a couple, a couple things that I looked up where I, I could have just gotten to the answer through a little bit of debugging or maybe like doing a more long winded solution. But I wanted to look up like the most optimal, clean way to do something. Um, for example, like there was this uh, part where it was like, I, I, had to order like a list of strings alphabetically. Um, and you know, so people have been doing this, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of times. So that's, I use the thing I look up, you know, how do you just, how would you sort strings alphabetically? And you would use local locale compare, which basically just converts it. It compares between two strings by, I think it's their hexadecimal values. Um, or just like uh, maybe, maybe even base, base 10, I don't know, but anyway, by like a numerically represented value. And then it, um, from there it, outputs like either negative one or one or zero based on whether it's less than more than or equal to uh, the character it's being compared to. And then that's how you would sort them. Right. So, um, I looked up something like that up. I, I looked up a couple other small things and I, I hope that it didn't affect my performance, uh, in their eyes, but you know, I don't know. And I just, 
but you probably know where this is going. Um, they got back to me uh, the, the next day and they, they just said, they said I did well, but not within their the threshold of what they were looking for. So that to me was like, I was like, are you serious? Because I, it was really easy for me. I just had to look up a couple things that I, you know, I felt made the syntax cleaner, but, um, you know, nothing that I couldn't have done just through with, with the, you know, honestly, like a few more seconds of, of just trial and error. So it was, it was a little, it was a little, um, disappointing and I had a, oh, so I, I don't know if I mentioned this. So the multiple choice thing, I felt like I wasn't sure of the answer of one of them. And I looked it up afterwards because it turns out it was a, it was a fairly standard, again, like a gotcha interview question. And, um, it, I was, I was wrong. I know verifiably that I got my answer to the question was, was not the correct one. So I know that I got that multiple choice question wrong. Let's be real. I could have easily looked up the answer and I guarantee you probably 95% of people, that's exactly what they did. If anything, it's an idiot test of, you know, are you too much of a boy scout to look up the answer to this thing when, you know, you know, you're not going to get caught. I just, I don't know. I have a, I have a problem with dishonesty. I really don't like lying to people. And I like to just, I really try to, I try to keep it a hundred. All right. Probably the whitest possible way I could have said that phrase. I try to keep it 100. I try to keep it 100. It's very important that I keep it 100. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I just, I'm I, like, I'm being like brutally honest. Like I kind of wish that I had just looked up the answers. Cause I, I think that there's, there's a version of me that did. And maybe that version of me got a phone interview as a result. So who knows? I'll never know. I will never know. Uh, actually, you know, something that just reminded me, I asked them for more detailed feedback and they did not get back to me. They did not. So I, I'm going to poke them again, see if they can get me some, uh, you know, give me a little bit more because I'm, I'm just, you know, if, if they could tell me that would at least put it to rest in my mind. Um, and also if they tell me, I'm probably just going to insist that I take another one. So because, <laughs> um, I deserve it. That's why, cause I deserve it. Now, if I just took it again, they'd, I'd just know the answers ahead of time, right? Uh, well, you know, you live and you learn, I guess. I'm not really sure what I learned because I, again, don't, I don't think I would look up the answers again. Like I said, maybe, maybe I would if I could retake it. But I mean, if it was the difference between me getting a job and not getting a job, yeah, I think I would look up the answer to one multiple choice question. Um, and it's also like, I, I noticed this, I don't know why I'm talking about this so much. I, I, cause I, I've been thinking about it a lot, I guess. And that's really what this is. This is just me talking about whatever I want. This is my audio recording, whatever this thing is, a podcast, it's just a wave file as far as I'm concerned. But, um, I noticed something when I was on LinkedIn, uh, you know, you can take these skill assessments, you can take these skill assessments and you get like a little badge on your profile that I guess shows to recruiters that says you're certified in a certain skill. And, um, I truth be told, I don't think they matter at all. Not one bit, but I was just looking for, you know, something to do. 
So <laughs> I took, uh, I took, I started with the JavaScript one and, um, I, the first time I took it, I felt like I got like 90% of them, right? Editor here. Ryan tends to be somewhat overconfident in his ability. Just keep that in mind going forward. Um, and again, I didn't look at the answers. I didn't, you know, but I felt like I got like 90% of them, right? But when I completed the assessment, they said I didn't get the skill badge because you need to be in the top uh, 30% of people who take the assessment. So you need to be better than the average person. You got to be in the, in the top 30. I thought, okay, so I have to be in the top 30. Okay. Um, now keep in mind, if you looked online, you just search like JavaScript quiz, LinkedIn, whatever, you can find all the answers publicly posted. People publicly post them. The quiz, I don't think, I think it depends on the subject, but I, I actually, I don't think it's static. I think they rotate the questions or, or they randomize which questions you receive, um, which also really, it affects the difficulty of the thing as well. Like, because the second time I took, I, the second time I took it, I noticed that I felt like it was in general easier. I felt like uh, probably got like 95% of them right. Oh wow, and 95. But guess what I did? The ones, or I should say I knew 95% of the answers. The ones that I didn't know, I looked up the answers. And I answered with with what it said the answer was. And the reason I did that was because I realized something, which is that if it's 30%, that means that you, if you choose to take an honest, an honest go at it and not reference any of the answers online, then you are most likely handicapping yourself against all the people that do do that. Because it's, look, we live in a capitalist world. People are naturally competitive. And if it, the metric is not, you know, got X amount right, it should be, it really should be, but it's not. So because of that, because I have to be in the top 30% of people, you have to assume that there's this margin of people that, that take the assessments and have looked up all the answers because to me, it didn't make sense that I was, I think it said my first result, it said I was in like the top 40%. I swear I, I scored, I would say probably between 85 and 90% of them. I, I knew, I knew the answers too. I, I didn't, you know, have to wonder. So to imply that, you know, that's no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I would say probably 60% of people look up some, if not all of the correct answers, I would, I would, you know, you would assume. And so to be in the top 30%, maybe, maybe 60% is a stretch, but enough that you, it demands perfection from you to actually be in the top 30. That's what I think. And so if it's demanding perfection, I don't think someone should feel bad about knowing the vast majority of it and then having to round out the rest with, you know, looking up answers because it, it created this environment where you're contesting against people who did, who did that, who did that very thing. And yeah, so I like to keep it honest, but there are moments where you got to be honest with the nature of the situation. And I think that that's one of them. Um, and recruiters, I actually wouldn't discount the skill badges because I, I didn't take any ones where I felt like I didn't know the majority of them. So I'm not certified on, on all my skills. Like I'm not certified on C sharp or, um, I don't know. There's definitely some more stuff. I, I think maybe Mon no, either Mongo DB or MySQL, one of those two. Um, cause I took, I can't remember which one it was, but I took the certification thing. 
you know, same thing. I went in, but I, I like dry. I didn't look anything up. And then I, I had, I got a, I, I don't know what the number was, but I remember score. I think it was like 50. I was in like the 50 or 60 percentile. Um, and I, I felt like I was like, oh, that's not good enough. I need to. So I, I just straight up didn't retake it. I thought that maybe I, I could, you know, do some studying because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have certification badges on stuff where I actually didn't feel confident in because that to me is like straight up misleading. That's not me adjusting for, that's a good way to see, you know what it is? It's a curve adjustment. That's what it is. Like what they do in school, you know, when not enough people score high, they curve, they, you know, adjust the score. And and that's basically what it is, is a curve. But I think I fell beneath the, what I would consider the threshold for the curve. So I, uh, I'm living my honest truth on that. A curve, this, the LinkedIn skill badge curve. That's what they'll be calling it after this recording goes viral. viral, viral. But hopefully now, if you are still listening, you can understand based on me talking uninterrupted for 57 minutes straight. Editor here. Ryan doesn't seem to understand that my job involves trimming his recordings, meaning that calling out time codes will always be inaccurate. But I can't control him. Now you should hopefully understand why I felt the need to make this because I don't, I, there's, there's a, I will talk to myself. Oh, please. I talk to myself all, all the time in my, in, in my place. Like I'll, I'll, I will walk in circles and I will talk to myself. I will also do voice messages on my phone. If it's like information that I want to refer to later. Um, I just, I say that I'm just talking to my dogs, which is a fine and valid excuse. Um, but my dogs are usually asleep during it. In fact, they get anxious. They look at me pacing around and talking. They think I'm like talking to them. <laughs> they like, I feel bad for them because they're like trying to sleep, but they're like half asleep because I'm like, you know, I'm walking in circles and they're like, what is going on? You know, is he going to go out? Is he, what's going to happen? I really want to get back to, um, I've, I want to get, I, I, so I actually have a project, a personal project, a full stack thing that I'm writing a web app, um, that I'm writing that I've been working on since I graduated Hack Reactor. And I've been working on it of a, like a, a frequency of, of like every day up until uh, like a couple of weeks ago is around like Christmas-ish um, that I, I I started working on it less frequently um, because I wanted to focus on the job search more. I was honestly the first, the fir- up until what, I want to say late November, I was not putting in many job applications at all. I really wasn't, I, w- I really wasn't taking it that seriously. And it wasn't because I, I taking it seriously, kind of a weird way to put it. I, I not that I didn't think it was serious because I, I know that I want, I need to get a job in this. Like I personally, I need to make myself get a job in this. Um, but I think my priority lied in strengthening my skills. Um, so I was exploring things like TypeScript, which you know, I really wanted to get back into object-oriented programming because a lot, you know, it's such a it's such a huge thing to know. Um, so TypeScript, you know, TypeScript is like object-oriented programming light, and uh, I figured that would be a good a good way to get back into it. So, you know, I really I really pushed down on this project uh, as a way to learn not that just that, but a bunch of a few different web frameworks and um, plugins that I I had been putting off, but uh, that I'd been interested in, like. Uh, Next.js. So 
I've been able to make my resume bigger in, in terms of my technical skills because of this project. Um, you know, I, I went from doing almost no TypeScript to, you know, using it on a, honestly, it's, I wouldn't say huge, but it's a very large project for one person to have worked on. Um, and I've done a lot of, I've, it's actually a really cool project too. I'll talk maybe, you know, if I, if I really actually make more of these, I'll, I'll talk about it another time. But, um, but the other thing with, um, the other thing with the job, I, I will say, I will say this much with the job search was that it was widely reported that, you know, the industry was having a lot, there was a lot of hiring freezes going on in Q4. So the, the theory, and so far this is, it's appeared to be true is that a lot of places have opened up the books uh, now in Q1 and it's kind of going to, you know, it's going to continue to do this on a rolling basis. There's some companies that are still very hesitant to, especially entry role. I was saying before entry role jobs are not getting uh, a, a very good deal at this moment, but um, they are hiring a lot more this month than they were last month. So it doesn't justify, you know, not putting pedal to the metal, but I will say that was, that for me was something I was a little like wary about. Um, and I think it made me feel like, okay, am I going to waste my time putting in a bunch of job applications every day? Or am I going to, you know, learn the skills that are going to get me a job? And I, you know, I chose the latter, but yeah, now I'm, uh, I'm not committing to the, the project as much once every few days, I've been picking it back up, you know, making some changes, but I, uh, this job search thing is, 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 is my priority and it needs to be until I have, you know, until I have some offers lined up that it does. I suppose I could talk a little bit about kind of, I, I, I mentioned, you know, sort of how I got here from marketing, doing marketing stuff to doing software engineering, but, uh, that was more of like a literal how I got here. Um, I suppose I could talk a bit because this is actually something I sort of wanted to practice a bit in case I get asked by interviewers. Um, I want to talk a bit about the mental journey of going from one career to another. The thing is, for me, I have actually had a pretty good career uh, in marketing. I've, you know, I've done well for myself. I've had a few opportunities. I've worked for a few great places and I, I, you know, I I didn't, I didn't enter the field of software engineering or I'm not, you know, prospecting the field right now because I was like, oh, I want to earn more money. Or, you know, my friend says it's a better career path. It's more comfortable. It's more like, I literally, I, I just want to do programming full time that that was it. Um, I just recognized that I had a passion for it, you know, really the same way people have passions for like filmmaking and, and making music and, you know, they're willing to, they might have better options available to them financially or, you know, just like career wise. And, but they kind of abandon that because they have something they really, really want to do. And they're really impassioned by. And that for me is programming. And it, it sounds it sounds very strange to even say it like that because it's like, okay, I'm not, you know, a starving artist moving to LA, um, you know, collecting money, working three jobs just to keep a roof over my head. I'm, I'm, you know, software engineering, even at the entry level is, is lucrative. It's a lucrative thing. You know, I, I know that 
my first job uh, in this field, I'll probably be getting paid better than most of America. So it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm giving, you know, but I've done well for myself uh, working in marketing. And I've recognized that I had the potential to be making quite a lot of money. Um, and there have been moments where I've you know made quite a lot of money. And it's it's a little tenuous, you know, it kind of comes and goes based on like, again, advertising. In, in my opinion, advertising is is a relatively unstable field, especially like it's pretty correlated, like the, the performance of it is pretty correlated to our overall economy. You know, there's some things that will always go. You know, you work in 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 manufacturing, you work, you create electronics, you, you know, it's there's some things that despite the conditions of the economy, you will always have a, an industry. You know, you might have to fire a few people every now and again, but like, so long as someone still wants what you're selling, you're not really in any serious trouble. And marketing, advertising is not like that. Advertising is the first thing to go in times of economic downturn. Um, so I was a little worried about that for sure. But I, I got to say, like, there, there were not like my decision to essentially jump ship to a different career was it wasn't really motivated by negative feelings that way. I mean, that's just like a consideration, you know, about like the economy and whatever, but like, um, it was more motivated by positive things, which is that I love to do this. Um, you know, I really felt like with advertising, with, with programmatic advertising, AI, uh, you know, recommendation, rec these recommendation engines that, you know, run a lot of stuff. It's not even, I'm not even talking about like, well, sort of machine learning, learning ish. Um, but really just like AI that makes decisions about like keywords and bids and, and stuff like it, it got to a level where I'm like, I would much rather put, yeah, I would invest, I would much rather invest in a service, a software that, you know, makes these decisions, um, than be managing it by hand and, you know, doing things there. Cause I think the best ad manager, the best programmatic ad manager is someone who, knows how to use the data to make decisions. It should be an entirely data-driven job, essentially, with very little, really very little opinionated human input. And I could just feel myself getting into that zone where I'm like, what am I, what what am I even really for? Like, I'm here to talk to clients to, you know, explain to them what I'm doing. But like half the time, you know, if I'm working with a software, it's like explaining the software's trajectory, not, you know, not really my own. And there was a time where I really loved doing this stuff. I actually, I love, it sounds weird. Cause like who the hell would love programmatic advertising, but I, you know, I, I, I got it to do a good job. I need to be personally motivated by, by an interest in what I'm doing. I need to be, I need to find something that I can latch onto. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm working on a killer product or even I'm working on a killer feature. It just has to be like, I'm doing something that I'm motivated by. It could, it could be like, you know, with like software engineering, like it could be a feature that I, uh, don't really care for, but, oh, hey, I get to learn a new framework or like, you know, I get to practice uh, the, the optimizing code to do, 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 do like if I can find a reason that something I can, I can latch onto, then that for me is going to drive my productivity. And I think for a few years I had that, I was able to approach programmatic advertising that way. And I can make informed decisions as a human being on these systems, but recognizing that the data-driven approach was going to outperform like the human, you know, you know, you do both. There are different like uh, areas in which like one approach is better than the other, but the data-driven approach being so impactful 
and knowing that people were creating softwares that took this approach, you know, algorithmically, automatically, that to me just made me feel like I, I don't feel like there's anywhere else for me to go as far as my own understanding of the platform. Because really, I think over time, these adjustments that I make are going to be, they're going to be abstracted by layers of, of, of uh, like dashboards that, you know, they don't give you that manual control. They just ask you like what you want, like set a goal. And then it's like, okay, we have an AI, just give us like three parameters and you know, every, everything else is AI driven and it's all handled like that. That's the kind of thing that would put a programmatic ad manager out of business is if that became that simple, because trust me, you have people that are chomping at the bit, like these clients, especially these small business owners who they, they, they own their own Amazon accounts. They are in complete control of, of, you know, they do everything from inventory management to, you know, forecasting for their own business. Um, they are very much in charge of it. They will often outsource the advertising piece to someone else because it appears to be more complicated than the rest of the business. But I'm saying that it is getting less so. Now I have the most experience with Amazon, so I can just tell you from my perspective working on Amazon's platform that um, they're like they've been more and more they've been doing this outreach to sellers on Amazon to offer them like personalized recommendations where you know for free just like oh hey you know here's some keywords and bids like we did some data sourcing whatever um and really just trying to get people set up with the platform and i think so they have that component down um but the actual day-to-day -day management is still a little bit i would say if you want good results it's worth paying for an ad manager but it's getting less and less necessary and so there's going to be a threshold that, I mean, you know, everybody is different with what they feel comfortable with, but I would say for someone, uh, a business owner who is already in control of everything else on Amazon, already knows how to work all other aspects of the seller platform, for them, that type of person, there's going to be this threshold where they feel comfortable also assuming full control of the ads rather than paying an ad manager um, because they're both given what they need to get started from Amazon themselves. And then they're given the tools to optimize their performance in the form of these, you know, algorithmic tools, just layers of abstraction that make the process a lot, a lot simpler and reduce the need to, you know, get in the weeds uh, with it on your own. It's also going to put third party platforms out of business. Amazon's been, they historically, they're very hands off with this. They've been very hands off with this stuff for years in improving their ad platform and, and, you know, bring these, uh, these types of features to it because they've kind of entrusted these third-party providers to have their own platforms. But it is so funny because if you, if you, the Amazon, they, they took a, a, a bigger, there was more of a drive over the past two years, I would say, to improve the platform, to bring these new, these, these, uh, features. And they've even experimented with things like, like algorithmic bidding, um, like automatic bid set setting, setting automatic bids based on like a profitability target or what's called an ACOS target. Um, and that's like people have built like these third party companies have built entire platforms that just do that. Like, like Amazon, you know, I think has had their finger on the button to put these businesses out of business for a long time, but they just let those businesses build their platforms and, you know, collect their revenue and, and selling them to sellers just 
because it was easier for Amazon to not do it themselves. And, you know, it, it enables those businesses to exist. But it's a very bad business model. It's a very bad business model because it's not diverse. And it means that, you know, Amazon can make a push. I mean, you could get some new management on, on, on the team uh, designing the product, which they may very well have. Like that may have been part of it. Uh, but but the reason it's a very bad business model to start a business uh, doing these programmatic, programmatic advertising solutions is that you are literally dependent on these platforms not getting better, the ones that you're improving. You're, you're, you are taking a gamble on that. And the longer, the more you build these, like a business like that up, the more risk you're taking. Um, so my bet, I don't even know how I got here. I was talking about something about advertising and like why I moved from that to this, but, uh, my advice somehow I got to advice, my advice column for businesses that build these softwares that build on top of, um, Amazon ad tools, things like that. My advice is diversify. Um, many of these businesses, they've been smart enough to, they have platforms that also work for like Walmart and Instacart and eBay and like all these different things, um, specifically because they didn't want to be, you know, they didn't want like 90% of their revenue to be wiped out if, if Amazon made like a big play on, on their own platform, but, um, which is very, you know, it's good, but I, I am saying that I think any competent marketplace, first of all, there's going to be industry trends. So if Amazon say was the first to like really kind of, uh, make it so that these third party platforms were no longer necessary or worth paying for, then I think like Walmart and, and other places would probably fall suit. So, uh, my best, my, my recommendation is diversify in bigger ways, like use your algorithmic bidding engine to, you know, create other things, create your own ad exchange or platform, you know, something else. Cause I, I, I don't think that those tools are going to be super viable in like five years. And I, um, I, I think the managers, the people who manage these tools, even less so significantly less so. So that was part of the reason I decided that I wanted to try something else. Um, and you know, I, I, it's not, it's not just because like my experience is, is very, I've, I've worn a lot of hats. I've done all sorts of things I've done, you know, just, just having like clients, like having an independent consultancy and having that kind of experience, like managing clients makes you viable for a lot of different roles, you know, I've, I've worked in roles that I think have prepared me for a lot of different jobs that I could do, um, as it relates to just marketing, let's just say marketing. And, uh, so there are a lot of places I could take my career, but nothing really, nothing really, uh, you know, tugged at me so much as, as software engineering does. I mean, there's nothing, there's no field of marketing cause you know, I've worked mostly, mostly in programmatic advertising, but there's no other field in the wide field, you know, wide world of marketing that really compels me the way that just designing software does. Uh, you know, and I, I think another, like a larger, I guess, reasoning behind this and like my, this is just my feeling. This is like what I've sort of come to terms with is, um, I've always had a creative mind. Like I've always, like, since I was young, I, I would do, I'd make videos and stuff. I would do videos professionally, personally, um, since I was like 14 years old. And, um, even, uh, even in like one of my first professional roles, I, I took that and I was, 
utilizing that and some of the stuff I was doing. Um, so I've always been creative kind of in that way and, and want in the most literal sense, wanting to create, you know, someone who creates things. And I, I couldn't, you know, I just can't help but feel like advertising is not a creative thing to do. Of course, again, it depends on what you mean, but I, you know, like ad spend managing, like programmatic advertising, that's not, there's really nothing creative about it. That's you're just selling other people's products. Um, you know, every now and again, you'll come up with the opportunity to maybe affect like the messaging of a product, how it's presented to people, but you know, you, you have nothing, nothing more than that. So it's not a, you know, this is not me. This is just me being honest, like in my experience and, and, and the way I've seen it, I don't view it as, as being a good outlet for creativity. And I think I'm a, a creative person. And I think I'm a person who wants to, again, I want to create things. I want to put things out there in the world that people can use. I want to create marginal utility in the world. I want to make something where it didn't, you know, it just didn't previously exist. Especially if it's something that I, I think, you know, oh, this is definitely, this is making the world a better place. Just having this in existence, you know, like I don't need to start the new Amazon. I, I, I just need to like, I need to feel like something that I contribute to or something that I own is, um, people appreciate it. People don't really appreciate advertising. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, in fact, when, when I tell people that I work in advertising, I've, I've gotten reaction people like, <laughs> like clearly like, Oh, okay. Well that sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you um, mean? Cause it's just like, Oh, okay. Advertising because you know what people think first thing. Cause, uh, well, I don't like ads, you know, like who likes ads? You know, whole services, subscription tiers are, are uh, positioned on on the value prop of getting rid of advertisements. That's like YouTube premium and Hulu premium. And Netflix just came out with an ad supported tier, which is uh, <laughs> you know, Spotify, all, you know, all sorts of services. That's they get the free tier and then they get the or, you know, uh, freemium and then they get the non ad supported tier. I can't believe Netflix did that. That stinks, man. I uh, I would never. I would never. Netflix is already on the thinnest device. I was um I was going to watch a few. So I I have, you know, I have like a, a wish list on Netflix and I had a few movies on the wish list and I noticed around mid-December uh many of them, like half of them that were not Netflix originals had the it said last day to watch like December 31st on them. So they were cleaning house on their catalog at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year. And like all, like a ton of stuff that I wanted to watch was, was getting taken off. Um, interestingly enough though, they, cause you know, like how it really works with the Netflix titles is like, you know, they have like a database of titles and with the information and everything. And they just choose to show and hide it based on whether or not they had the license at the time. Um, or, you know, if it's like available in your region or, or what have you, but it's, it's, you know, basically a Boolean that says like whether or not you should be seeing a title available to watch. Um, but just because they don't, maybe they lose the rights to something doesn't mean they delete the record anyway. So in, in rolling over to the new year, I noticed that I, I had some, a few titles that I had added to my list previously that were suddenly available, um, to watch because they had probably renewed their contracts with them after previously taking them off. So 
you know, they cycled through, they, but, but the thing is they definitely took off way more content that I was interested in watching than the stuff that they had brought back. Um, and they, 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 I mean, I can't even name a single a TV show or movie that they added that I like that they, I don't think they had before that I was interested in seeing. Um, so Netflix on thin ice. Hulu is underrated in my opinion. They have a lot of good TV shows on Hulu. Um, honestly, just any platform that doesn't prioritize their original content is a winner in my mind. Um, and Netflix is the worst at this. Netflix is the absolute worst of the streaming services because not only do they prioritize their own content, it's very clear that their end game is to completely eradicate having contracts with other production studios. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think, I think the last straw for a lot of people was when they got rid of the office and I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll give them some credit. The office is not their fault. It's because Peacock existed. NBC came out with Peacock and obviously, you know, they needed their all-star which is the office. But this is the issue is that, is that streaming is becoming TV now where we're back to, we are literally back to where we started. We had a period of innovation and, and, you know, um, you know, kind of a period where the networks could not afford to just create their own apps and services, but now they can. And, uh, because of that, they all are doing it. Um, and part of that is a great purging of that content on the other services, um, so it's, it's a shame. It's sad. I would say TV shows are like, obviously they get it the worst, um, because movie studios, oh my God, you have no idea how annoyed I would be if movie studios started segmenting out their offerings. I mean, I think there are a couple streaming services. Like I want to say that there's a Warner Bros streaming service, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Paramount. Yeah. Oh, there's Paramount plus. Ah, and there's Disney, Disney Plus, technically, you know, they do movies and TV, but, you know, the Disney movies and including all their superhero stuff. So the, they do exist. But luckily, a lot of really good movies are not they're not they're not branded significantly enough that, you know, they're, or they're, they're like not part of a series. It's like I don't want to be told that I can't watch the Shawshank Redemption on HBO Max. I have to, you know go subscribe to the niche streaming service of whoever published that movie. That will be, that will be bad. Um, actually, so I would say HBO max, as far as movies and TV goes, they're the best. They got the best stuff. Um, so shout out to HBO max. I feel like I could go for more, but I also feel like I do need to figure out dinner. My stomach was rumbling when I started this and, uh, I think it's quieted down because it's like, okay, you're, you've ignored me. I see. That's how it is. You, you're ignoring your biological needs. Got it. Got it. Cool. I'll just be, I'll be, I'll be hungry in silence. Um, but I am hungry. I do feel hungry. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess this is it for this recording. Uh, maybe I put it up. I guess it'll be self-evident if you're listening to it. So if you listen to this, Thanks for listening to it. Hopefully it was entertaining. Whatever reason you may have, hope it was worth it.